Hello, everyone. Welcome to Word with Dave Clay. Today's podcast, I believe, will be incredibly relatable. The reason I believe it will be incredibly relatable is probably twofold. The first is it's an experience that we all have either had, (laughs) I guess past tense in the sense that we might have been done with it, uh, or having, but uh, it's an experience that probably all of us have had, (laughs) experienced. (laughs) Maybe we'll give it up, but even so, we've all experienced it. And that's, again, not only when it comes to the technology that it represents, and there's certain things in today's world that you, it's inevitable, unavoidable. I suppose there may be a very, very small percentage that haven't used a cell phone. I'm thinking. <laughs> Probably everyone's used a cell phone. Uh, maybe a landline phone. I mean, even certainly if we include those, there's probably not an individual on the face of the planet. Well, that's a bit of a reach too. But most individuals have some experience with cell phones and maybe even landline phones. I can remember a day when it was impolite, but if the phone rang, you just dropped whatever you were doing and went and answered it because you just didn't know who it was and it might be important. Uh, and maybe if you knew the guest, if you had guests at the time the phone rang, maybe if you knew them well enough, it just left them sitting there with their cup of coffee waiting for you to come back. Everybody has a cell phone. The other side of it is, is that we all also know the social dimensions of either cell phone or landline phones, traditional phones. Uh, and with that, as I've explained, uh, probably at one time or another, particularly with a cell phone, we've <laughs> been been fubbed, I think is what it's called. The fubbing blind spot. Uh, this is out of Psychology Today. The newest edition, at least at the time of the podcast recording, is October of 2022. The fubbing blind spot. We may be oblivious to the harm we cause when we focus on our phones instead of our friends. Fubbing or snubbing others in social situations in favor of one's phone is something 90% of adults admit to doing. Yet research finds that it can do real harm to relationships, disrupting connections and upping the chance of conflict. Why then do we keep doing it? New findings suggest that a bias known as the fubbing blind spot may be to blame. In four studies, researchers analyzed the effects of phone use across various social contexts. Replicating past findings, they found that interactions in which a phone was used tended to be less enjoyable for participants who reported reduced feelings of connection and engagement. Yet these effects were apparent only when the other person was the one on the phone. When participants examined their own phone use, they significantly underestimated the negative effect it would have on their partner's enjoyment and engagement. People don't seem to feel that their phone use negatively affects the people they spend time with, even though others' phone use bothers them. 
explains study author Alyssa Barrick, a PhD student at Case Western Reserve University. Dubbed the fubbing blind spot by the researchers, this phenomenon appears due to participants' greater likelihood of attributing more positive motives to their own phone use like looking up a fact to enhance the conversation than they did to others' fubs. They also overestimated their ability to multitask compared with others, leading them to believe that their own fubbing was less disruptive. Simply being aware that your phone use may be negatively affecting your loved ones in ways you can't always see could go a long way toward breaking the fubbing habit, Barry advises. Before you walk into a social engagement, consider putting your phone on silent, she says, and just enjoy your tech-free time with others. The fubbing blind spot. We may be oblivious to the harm we cause when we focus on our phones instead of on our friends. By Gwendolyn Seidman, S-E-I-D-M-A-N, Ph.D., Psychology Today, October of 2022. Now, I may be missing something right now. Actually, you may be missing something right now. You uh, may be listening to the podcast on your cell phone. And with that, you may be multitasking, including (laughs) trying to carry on conversations or do some sort of work that requires effort, put some effort out that requires some social engagement. Uh, You may be trying to do it with (laughs) AirPods, Uh, headphones on instead of uh, just listening through the speaker (laughs) without headphones or AirPods. Uh, But nonetheless, if you're doing that, even as we're doing the podcast, you're at least probably multitasking. Unless you're sitting there looking at my uh, the picture uh, of the podcast, the promo of the podcast. And with that, then just staring and listening intently, (laughs) as you would uh, probably to catch every last little detail. So it's not unusual. Again, it's why I started out with that idea that it's pretty universal. We probably have all had that experience. I can think of other things besides cell phones and landline phones. There's television. (laughs) How many people uh, try to watch television, talk at the same time? People try to do homework and television. I, I, I think there's a case to be made that <laughs> fubbing in the sense of uh, possibly kind of disrespecting either a person or the intent of the whole exercise, whichever of the two might be considered most important in the first place, whether it's watching a movie, television, cleaning up the house, (laughs) driving your car. There's some things that should take priority. And with that, can we really give it priority if we're trying to do two things at once? And though I believe research tends to suggest that auditory learning may be as powerful, more powerful, at minimum as powerful as visual or any other (laughs) form, of learning, singularly so. Buying them all is probably the best. Uh, Auditory, visual, tactile, all those things that go into experience. But that's also the point. How do you really take in all of that data and process 
all that's going on at any one moment, especially if you're trying to cram that moment full of at least two or three things. And with that, run risk of losing sense of what's most important. Now, supposing that there could be something said for that thing that's imminently in your physical domain or kind of spatially there, maybe that's always going to be the one that's going to take on imminence in terms of significance, in terms of importance, in terms of having to attend to it. But usually that's where the problem is. How loud, (laughs) how big, how dramatic, uh, how whatever. (laughs) Eye-popping, eye-catching, the most immediate situation has to become to get your attention? That seems to be the question. Now, in a day and a time when there was less to distract us, In any of these ways, and possibly many, many, many others, maybe it wasn't such the big deal. (laughs) You were just going through life, and something came up, something kind of appeared. I think they call it figure ground out of the background and came to a point of some awareness. And you didn't know. Maybe it was dangerous in a more organic, naturalistic context. Maybe the world was a little bit more dangerous then and you had to attend to it. Uh, maybe that's what some of the problem is too. Maybe all of this is wired in some autonomic way. We are. <laughs> we should consider our wiring. All of this is attached to our biological, physiological wiring to attend to only the most critical and important of, of uh, stimuli, stimulus, stimuli, stimulus is plural, stimuli, and then maybe it's all sort of predisposed to capture those things that might be dangerous initially, we see them as dangerous, and then until we rule them out, but you could say at some point, especially if you listen, lesson, the, uh, and listening, I guess, but lessen the extent of possible danger in today's world, at least imminent sort of danger, off radar, unforeseen, out of nowhere. Um, most people are routines. Yes, there are still accidents, uh, unforeseen circumstances that are dangerous, dangerous that can happen. But maybe that's it. Maybe the ascending reticular activating system, ARAS is what we used to call it. Whatever it is that gets your attention, whatever it is that triggers your awareness, maybe we've lost our sensitivity. We certainly seem to have lost our sensitivity when it comes to personal, human, personal communications. Uh, Again, not only over this idea of fubbing blind spot, uh, but we've lost that in terms of probably many scenarios, over many scenarios, situations. Uh, People are online (laughs) a lot more than they are virtual, than they are even physical. And if we're wired to more a physical sort of sensual, sensational sort of uh, experience, uh, 
over the broadest range of at least five sensorium senses, then you may still get some of that same effect, but it's all coming through a box. It may be an elaborate box. It may not be one that you're holding in your hand, such as this phone or a cell phone. But it comes through some form of technology. And then the competition between that, not only more natural sort of coordination or um, calibration of human operations to, to a more organic, natural sort of input, uh, that's disruptive because the phone is, boxes are technology, I think implicitly, though it may mimic the natural, and it's getting closer and closer, I believe, to just that, artificially capturing all of those things. It's still not quite there. And for those that are very astute, you'll know the difference. Some can be easily fooled. Some get engrossed so easily. Books even. I don't want to rule books out. That's not so high tech, but it has that dimension of sort of putting or inserting something between us and real life experience. Maybe that's what I'm trying to capture. By virtue of technology, we're removed. And the further removed we become, I don't know if it's disassociation, but we can become at risk, I think, of certainly compartmentalization, which is some measure of disassociation. But the more you remove us from that hands-on, empirical sort of dimension, inserting something, placing something between us and the true, actual, natural environment, you're going to get disruptions. And with that, I think you're going to fub along. <laughs> you're not going to connect with people so well. And I suppose... The article, as it's turned toward 75% of participants fubbed a friend, family member, or partner during a visit to a park, is not only happening in our home, it's happening wherever we go, wherever the technology or whatever that might be that puts itself between us and the natural environment, particularly others, we're going to take it with us. We're going to find it wherever we go. Now, the idea of whether or not those people who fub a lot really appreciate the effect on the others who are not as inclined to, maybe the others who are politely, respectfully turning off their technology, their cell phone, devoting their entire attention, it's sort of like enjoying a good meal. <laughs> I want to taste it all. I don't want to all eat it all at once. I don't want to devour it. Uh, used to call it swallow it whole. <laughs> we want to experience it. And that too is multi-sensational or sensorial. You get taste and tactile and smell and Maybe you could hear, hear, hear it or hear aspects of it or maybe as you include the auditory into the whole experience and then you place another human being there and before you know it, you have this marvelous, wonderful dinner 
experience that has all these social overtones and in that shared memories and bonding. It's not so isolative. It's not so compartmentalized. It's not so dissociative. Maybe that's the other idea too is that we've begun to celebrate maybe always have to some extent moving towards celebrating the individual over the social dimension. And certainly in more Western cultures, that's the case. The individual uh, has priority or takes or assumes in individualism, even if it means that you're going to be, or maybe even with that, the idea would be how great it is or how great it would be if I was the only one. You're moving away from that social shared experience or not appreciating that in a way that brings not only communion, but as with the idea of a root to that, word-wise, vocabulary-wise, communication. If you're ignoring the things that are going on immediately around you in the most imminent sort of way, empirical sort of way, and defaulting to a secondary, more artificially contrived, yes, you're going to take it in. Yes, you're going to see it on your phone and through your AirPods and your headphones. But it's not the same. And (laughs) as it's happening really, really quickly too, maybe we should consider, as we're talking about this in the podcast today, just the idea of we need to slow it down a bit, savor it a bit. But maybe those folks who do know how to do that are going to be more offended because they're going to be looking for that. Maybe those individuals who are much more inclined to be on their phone, it's kind of narcissistic, I suppose, that whole idea of individualism or of individualism or individuation. Being an individual, so much so that you would neglect the person that you're in the presence of or move out of the context of the social and physical context of the immediate situation just to chase after a text. Maybe you try to multitask, but believing that you can't do both at once, you're going to give, in some ways, priority to the phone, or even if that's just a distraction. You're not going to see it, probably, because maybe you're so inclined to be narcissistically self-absorbed, which is obviously going to then not be so social, which is obviously then going to disrupt your communication with those around you and then your communion or connection with them. But you may just be also inclined or further inclined as you're doing that, you're going to have to pick. (laughs) You can't do both. We're not calibrated for that level of multitasking and As important as phone calls might be and television programs might be and watching a movie might be, you can do all that too in an isolated, solitary sort of dimension. Yes, through social media. Yes, through some computer, even gaming experience. Yes, through the telephone. Uh, Yes, through the cell phone. Going online, maybe, maybe not, although... World Wide Web has kind of taken on a persona in and of itself. It seems at times it's like it's your friend, especially when you're lonely, when you need somebody to talk to. Why would you turn to that, though, as your default? Makes no sense. It's, neglig- it's negligence, neglecting, 
when it comes to the most important of things, which I would probably still be inclined to hold as highest esteem, social, social or sociological functioning is as important as is psychological functioning, and that's the dimension. We're social creatures. <laughs> We're not social creatures, insert technology, or we don't marry robots. <laughs> Maybe one day we will. Uh, we don't have those best of experiences alone. You can't share with anybody. Or if you do, then it's only a memory <laughs> bank or a database that kind of acts like a memory bank. It's not really a person. And there's something to be said for, once again, holistically, when all of that comes together, not only is it <laughs> the highest level of learning, uh, I mentioned that at the head or the start of the podcast, top of the podcast, uh, they say auditory learning, but it's the entire experience. You learn something experientially <laughs> the hard way, <laughs> lessons learned in life, you're going to hold on to it. You're going to retain it. Even more than somebody telling you about it, even more than you just hearing about it, maybe you will see it. I know that there's going to be always some restrictions on predominant or your strongest sense. Auditory learners, visual learners kind of implies that their brain process, for those that are strong in visual learning, their brain processes the visual better more strongly uh, than maybe the auditory, or if you're auditory, it's going to be the hearing. But when you can combine as much of that as you can and then combine that in an amplified way with somebody else, you've got a partner for life, especially if you've got multiple experiences. And especially if it is one of those engrossing kind of, I don't know, high stakes, exciting, you add to it. <laughs> That notion of, I mentioned also earlier in the podcast, safety or risk. Those are the ones that you remember the most. Those are the ones that you hold on to the most. Those are the ones that imprints in some sort of indelible way in your brain. And uh, those are the ones that you rarely forget, if ever. If ever. And probably those are the ones that have the potential to really impact or influence you. So how loud does it have to be? How big? How dramatic? How significant? Might also explain why the world seems to be going in the direction as well, culturally, again, experientially. It's vying for our attention. It's competing for our attention. What's it? Well, there's a lot of things. But it shouldn't be, I don't think, people. And possibly there's a social learning aspect to this as you grow up. Some people bring their children up and teach them the role technology plays. Some are. Families are much more, again, socially oriented, uh, either by commitment, intention, strategy even. Uh, but there's, again, always going to be some risk that you're not going to have an intact family, but we should try to celebrate that. 
That what, that's what creates social cohesion. That's what creates, again, community. That's how all, we all connect and remain connected. That's what we seek out in life. But if you're talking about going separate ways and everybody chasing down their own individual thing, whatever that is, and then you've got all this technology to support it, including cell phones, maybe we all have risk of a fubbing blind spot if that fubbing blind spot is narcissism, self-absorption, sacrifice of the social, communal, community dimension. Who needs them? We've got our technology. And maybe if we do need a human sort of interaction now and then, we can kind of substitute even that. Humans being animals, we can get pets. Who needs a person? Well, arguably, I think we're still wired, as I mentioned a moment ago, to be social. We all need that. But we're creating a narcissistic society that's disengaged, that's fractioned into factions, that's broken up and broken down, and really have no since intuitively so, or maybe have some intuitive dimensions. I, I believe anytime you're talking about us being innately social creatures, inherently social, it's in there. We've just not cultivated it, or we've been taught something so different. And possibly, again, the excitement risk can work to our disadvantage because many times the great pains in life are attached to people who have hurt us and harmed us, and then I can understand justifiably why you might make a case you want to be a loner. You don't want to be around. But it's not what we would want to aspire to. We want to aspire to better. But maybe the fubbing blind spot, individualism, individuation, individualism, or some sort of sense of narcissism or self-absorption, Maybe it's culturally sponsored, promoted, technology enhanced. It's not good for us, though. That's why people come to see people like me for psychological counseling. They're not getting enough of their social connections. They're not connecting enough with the people around them. You can love yourself. <laughs> but, you know, if it's just you and you, and for some reason that's not going so well... <laughs> Who do you turn to? And you could, again, probably more than ever, make an argument, nobody needs somebody or anybody, but we all need somebody. Nobody could do it alone. <laughs> What's the, <laughs> the phraseology that's not too long ago? It seems like ancient history. We're all in this together, aren't we? Well, let's act like we are. At least let's bring that to some priority. Let's teach people. Psychology, psychological counseling, sociology. We use that. I use that. I'm not a sociologist by trade. But I learned that. I learned the psychosocial developmental course. Eric Erickson is still sentinel as a theorist. In, in my industry, my business. And it's all about social connections. It's all about relating to other people. 
And yes, there is individual psychological development and there is the cause and the reason for being your own person. And I'm also probably inclined to say, get that secured before you go out and try to, to figure out your relationship with others. But you can't do that singularly and to the neglect of figuring out how to do it with others. It'll make you sick. <laughs> Emotionally and physically. Put down your cell phone. <laughs> Turn off the television. Don't talk during a movie. <laughs> it's probably... I'll, I'll draw the line there. But don't let anything come between you and the people around you, or if it's got to, make sure it's on the lesser than the greater side of that. Don't compartmentalize your life so much. Don't isolate yourself so much. Don't turn to technology, artificial AI kind of stuff as your primary means of simulation when it comes to social needs. Obviously, it's still difficult to hug a computer or a phone. You're, you may get something hot and warm, but it may not be good if it's hot and warm. Uh, but the idea of touch and Smell and being with others and hugs and even that physical touch is so, so important. Studies have established that negligence, neglect, all of that affects abandonment, affects our sense of attachment psychologically. It's all there. Go get the research on it. Attachment theory. Go get the research on it. Read about it. It's good stuff. So kind of winding it down, I wanted to share one other example. <laughs> I do a lot of couples counseling. I call it relational counseling. Used to call it marital counseling. Might still be within the context of marriage, but I prefer couples, relational. This is a big sin. <laughs> this is one of those primary mistakes. People go different ways. A lot of the content of my counseling when it comes to couples' relationships is just that. Something taking priority over the relationship, over the other person. And someone in the dyad, I guess you could add to that, but at least conventionally so, the twosome of it, has taken offense. They feel neglected. They feel left alone. Oddly enough, too, I think that's a primary motive for a lot of people who do grow up in social situations where there was some element of neglect, impoverishment, lack of opportunity to be with others socially, connect with others socially. Many of them don't know how to do it. It does predispose you to a life of, I believe, some isolation. Uh, having difficulties, but I think somewhere inside, as long as it again might be inherent, <laughs> intuitively so, innately so in us to be social, most of those individuals long for that. I do believe we still all long for love and probably would want it unconditional, which might mean a lot of things, but in context of today's podcast, just don't include cell phones and televisions and landline phones and computers and multitasking and doing your own thing to the exclusion of spending time with the people that you love the most, that matter the most. Not only your family, not only your community, but all of us. Connect with us. We may love you back. And what the world needs now 
It's love, more love, right? Who would argue that? So again, The Fubbing Blind Spot by Gwendolyn Seedman, PhD, Psychology Today, October 2022. We may be oblivious to the harm we cause when we focus on our phones instead of on our friends. To me, it's a no-brainer. Hopefully, you'll see at least the merits of my argument. You need to be with people. Connect. Be there. The more... I guess the experience, the, the, the more enriched the experience, the sensation, sensual aspects of it, physical presence, the better. So, <laughs> hopefully that helps. And it should it help? And should you need help? If it's gotten that place where you've gotten some difficulties, into some difficulties emotionally, psychologically, physically, through lack of those contacts, through maybe not only attachment-related issues, but maybe trauma-related issues, go get some help. Go seek out psychological counseling. But if you are not quite there, just reach out and touch someone. And I would like to invite you to come back to our next podcast, Word with Dave Clay, where we're going to persist, continue. I can't be with you in physical dimension. They sound a bit hypocritical after I said all that to pitch the podcast through social media, through computers, through cell phones. But hopefully we have a little bit closer relationship even than that. But it's no substitute for your friends and your family. But if you consider me to be either, hopefully friendly, maybe not family, maybe family, I'd like to invite you back to the next edition of Word with Dave Clay. In the meantime, wishing you not only good health, but good mental health.